Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Home Body Potty. I am your host, Anna, the Anxiety Coach, and today we are diving into a really, really, really crucial topic that touches the lives of so many. And the reason why I know this is because it is probably the most asked after and requested topic that I get from my community and audience members, and that is the world of panic attacks. And so it's really essential for us that we're going to address these challenges very openly. And I'm going to offer support to you or if you are supporting someone who is navigating panic attacks. Anxiety and panic attacks are so common. They're actually much more common than we might think, right? We often think that these are things that are affecting only us, when in reality that panic attacks affect people from all walks of life. Yet the stigma surrounding panic attacks, anxiety, trauma, often keeps these conversations in the shadows. So today we're breaking that and shining some light on the world of panic attacks. So the goal of this episode is very, very clear. I am going to provide you with practical strategies for managing and overcoming panic attacks. But first, to do that, we want to define anxiety and panic attacks and kind of draw a line between those two, because there's often a little bit of confusion about what constitutes a panic attack and what constitutes an anxiety attack. Now, anxiety attacks are anxiety in general. Sometimes it's a little more anxiety in general, but it's our natural response to stress. So when we are uncertain, when we don't have control, when we are feeling overwhelmed and we dip into that fight or flight response and we kind of end up in this state of worry or prolonged fear. And that state is often what we refer to just as anxiety disorder, but that is an anxiety attack when we have heightened anxiety. Now, you can kind of see how anxiety might simmer away in the background. Every once in a while, it might become bigger, but it's more of a slow burn within us. It's the physiological arousal of our systems to prepare us to fight off our attackers or flee from the scene. Now, panic attacks, on the other hand, are far more intense. So they're a huge spike in that feeling of anxiety. And sometimes they can feel like they come out of nowhere for no reason at all. They're often extremely overwhelming and accompanied by physical symptoms like shortness of breath, a feeling of impending doom, a racing heart rate. Maybe you have a tingling sensation in your extremities. Maybe you have loss of sensation. Maybe your bowels evacuate maybe you faint even to that extreme and understanding this difference between anxiety attacks and panic attacks is really really crucial for effective management and for us to be able to build awareness around our cues of when we're tipping into that state of heightened anxiety and panic so like i said in the beginning anxiety and panic attacks are one of the most common experiences that people will go through at some point in their life when it comes to panic attacks every year up to 11% of the population experiences a panic attack and 34.2% of females aged 16 to 85 will experience an anxiety disorder in their lifetime compared to 23.2% of men. So these numbers are huge and they emphasize the importance of us understanding first and foremost. So actually understanding the key differences between anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and also understanding that you are not alone in your experiences, in the way in which your body is responding to the world around you. 
This is a very common experience, albeit very uncomfortable experience, and it can be one of the most terrifying experiences, which is why so many people present to the ER when they're experiencing a panic attack for the first time, because it can honestly feel as though you are dying. When it comes to panic attacks, what we want to look at is some of the most common triggers that can occur. Now, anxiety and panic attacks are going to be highly individualized by what triggers them in your own life, and they can be triggered by a variety of different factors. So everyday stresses are not to be overlooked. If you are in a job and you're experiencing daily stress, maybe you've got some deadlines, maybe there's emails coming through after you finish work from the day, these things do not just disappear within your physiology. It's very, very important that we pay attention to the baseline level of stress that we are under because what happens is our body is designed to move through these natural stress response cycles. So for example, when we face a challenge or a stressor, our body goes into this state of arousal and what it does is mobilizes us for action. So it wants us to take action on something. And now normally that is a physical movement. So fighting or running away. And when we kind of move that into the context of day-to-day life for everyday people, when we receive an email that sets our heart racing and, and causes this stress response, Our first response is not to get up from the desk and run away, even though that might be what we really want to do. And it may not be to go into our boss's office and fight them off. But instead, we kind of quell this underlying stress response to the point where we kind of nicely respond to the email instead. And then we go home and we forget about that stress response that occurred within our body. But like I said, these stress responses do not just disappear. They need to finish this cycle. And so if that energy of arousal from that mobilization that your body wants you to take an action is not discharged, what happens is your body stays in that state of stress. So you don't come back down to a state of calm and you don't come back down to a state of feeling relaxed and, and feeling connected to those around you. You come home and instead you feel antsy. You can't switch off. You scroll on your phone, you watch TV, you try to forget about the day, but there's this underlying level of stress that is still within there. Now, if you think about how many times that happens to you throughout the day, it is insane how many times we become triggered or we are triggering a stress response and we are not attending to these stress responses and completing them in a natural sequence of events. So what we really, really need to understand when it comes to everyday stresses, we might look at them as minor inconveniences or just as a part of life, but they are extremely extremely important when it comes to managing and dealing with panic attacks. So that is everyday stresses. Obviously, they can impact the way in which we feel panic, especially if we are experiencing lots of different stress response cycles that are unfinished and we're creating this buildup of things in our life. On top of that, specific phobias or if we've experienced trauma in the past, these can all be triggers to panic attacks as well. So the better that you can recognize what it is physiologically, mentally, emotionally that is going on for you, 
in a broader context of panic attacks, the better you are going to be able to identify and recognize your triggers for your personal self. Because if we don't look at it at this broader context and we're simply looking at what happened just before a panic attack, we're not truly taking in what it was that actually triggered this panic attack. Because what we often see is people can't identify what the trigger was for a panic attack when in reality their body is already functioning at this higher level of arousal. And then it's just the last straw that gets pulled out and that is when we move into a state of panic. So I want you to look at your life in a broader context to, to kind of evaluate and audit what is going on for you and how you are kind of attending to your stress response cycles as well as maybe if you have a specific phobia or traumatic experiences that your body might be replaying in that moment when you are dipping into that state of panic. Now, when it comes to the symptoms of panic attacks, we touched on it slightly just before, but the experience of a panic attack can really vary. But the most common symptoms are, are a racing heart rate, feeling short of breath, trembling, shaking, and dizziness. So psychologically, what kind of is coupled with that can be a sense of impending doom, a fear of losing control. That's a really common one. Or even that dissociation and detachment from reality when we dip into that high-intensity panic. So we want to both recognize our triggers and also recognize the physical and psychological symptoms that we have when it comes to panic attacks. Now, for you, you might experience a trembling or shaking prior to your racing heart rate or vice versa, for example. So if you can kind of pinpoint what that first physical manifestation of panic is for you, then you're going to have a really, really easy time down-regulating that sense of panic and down-regulating that heightened state of arousal much more easily if we're kind of realizing in retrospect that our body is in this state of high arousal. All right, so now that we have gone over the common triggers and symptoms of panic attacks, we want to really understand how the functionality, the what to do um, and why to do these things that can help you take really proactive steps when you are in the state of panic. So you have noticed what your kind of triggers are, you've noticed what your symptoms are, you've looked at your life at a broader context and understanding these indicators is the first step to what I'm going to give to you next. So don't skip that step because like I said, it's really going to facilitate you being able to actually take action. Instead of trying to put out a fire that has spread to a whole house, you can put out a fire that has just kind of jumped out of the, the hearth or something like that instead. So it's much more manageable when you can start to notice these smaller incremental changes in your physiology, as opposed to when your whole body is in this state of panic and arousal, and then trying to downregulate yourself. That's much harder to do. So first and foremost, what I will say, no matter what, everything that I am sharing with you what is going to be best for you and best for everyone when it comes to actually integrating processes, techniques, and, and ways of kind of moving through different states of arousal like panic is that you need to start doing these things 
outside of a state of panic. So the reason why we want to do it when we are not in a heightened state of panic is because when we are calm or calmer than usual, our mind and our body are working in more synergy to actually learn. And when we can actually learn, we can integrate what it is that we are doing so that when we are in a state of heightened arousal, it is much easier for us to access those tools and resources that we have learned previously. You don't want to be trying to learn something new when you are in a state of arousal because the fight or flight response and that that sense of panic is not a state in which your brain and body are open to learning. It is a state of survival. And so we have to do these things outside of that heightened state of arousal so that they become more accessible for you as well. All right. So the things that I'm going to share with you are really, really helpful for in the moment with anxiety. I mean, with panic attacks, sorry, but you want to start to use these tools outside of state of panic too. And you can make a panic attack toolkit that you can take with you no matter where you are, because all of these resources that I'm going to share with you are portable as well. So the first one is sour and salty. When you feel the onset of panic, or like I said, outside of state of panic, what you want to do is activate your salivary glands. Now, we can do this with sour, salty foods, such as sour lollies or salty chips or strong strong flavored gums or mints. But probably the most portable way that you can do this is to imagine yourself actually biting into a lemon. Now, as I'm doing that, my mouth automatically start salivating because this idea of something so acidic happening within our mouth automatically causes us to salivate. Now, the reason why we want to start salivating is because when we enter into the fight or flight response, salivation is not a priority, right? We don't need to chew and eat food when we are fighting or fleeing from our potential threats and dangers. So when we can kickstart the salivation process within our body, we send this feedback bottom up. So from our body to our brain to start to downregulate that fight or flight response. And when we start to swallow, that also activates our vagus nerve as well. Now, your vagus nerve is part of your ventral vagal parasympathetic nervous system. And by activating salivation, we activate our vagus nerve and this ventral vagal system, down-regulating activation of our sympathetic or fight or flight system. So the most simple thing you can do is to imagine yourself biting into a lemon, but it is always handy to have something in your bag or in your wallet that you take with you as well, just as a backup. So sour lollies or chewing gum are going to be your best bet so that you can kickstart that saliva production. So that's number one, sour and salty. Number two is cold exposure. Now, most people, and I can't stop talking about cold exposure because it is functionally one of the best things that you can do when it comes to retraining your sympathetic nervous system and strengthening your parasympathetic nervous system. When it comes to panic attacks, you might be thinking, Anna, when I splash cold water on my face or put it on my body, that makes my heart rate increase. And you are absolutely correct. When we expose ourselves to cold water, especially on our face, this activates our sympathetic nervous system. So we have this huge spike in our sympathetic nervous system. But what happens is, especially when when we have 
cold water on our face, just above our kind of nostrils and on our cheeks, then this activates our mammalian dive reflex. Now, our mammalian dive reflex is kind of evolutionary um, system that humans have evolved with in order to survive when we get dunked underwater, right? So when you get dunked underwater, you kind of automatically hold your breath and kind of close up your mouth so that you're not taking in liquid into your body and then drowning. So we have this automatic response, but also what happens is our heart rate starts to lower when we activate our mammalian dive reflex. And that is to keep us calm under these stressful situations like being underwater, right? So yes, cold exposure initially activates the fight or flight response, but then your parasympathetic nervous system comes online afterwards. And this is particularly true for when we submerge our cheeks and our nostrils underwater. So trying to get our face underwater is a really, really easy and accessible way that we can start to shift our uh, fight or flight response and our sympathetic nervous system and strengthen our parasympathetic nervous system. Your vagus nerve also runs through your face and your wrists. So focusing cold on these areas activates your vagus nerve as well. And if you really want to combat panic attacks in the long term, I cannot highly recommend enough having cold showers at the end of your regular showers in the morning, especially. And this is really going to expand your nervous system and reduce that fight or flight activation. They've done really beautiful studies on this over the length of 30 days. When you are exposed to colder temperatures, this really does start to downregulate and quieten that sympathetic nervous system and strengthen your parasympathetic nervous system. Okay, so when you look at cold exposure, especially when you're out and about with panic, if you can excuse yourself to go to the bathroom and splash your face with cold water, if you could run your wrists under cold water, you could also use an ice pack or take a frozen water bottle with you to place on your cheeks, on your neck, on your wrists. Um, these are all really accessible ways to do that. But in the long term, if you can, exposing yourself to cold in the morning, especially, and I'm saying in the morning because when we have cold showers at night, this can kind of shift our body temperature in a way that makes it harder for us to get to sleep. So we want to have cold exposure in the morning so that our body temperature is regulating and we're feeling more alert and focused as we move through the day. Okay, so number two is cold exposure. If you can, freeze a water bottle, take it with you, excuse yourself to the bathroom, have cold showers every single day if you can. Now, third up, we have something called proprioceptive sensory input, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it is basically essentially how your joints and muscles understand where our body is in relation to our surroundings. So for example, when you go to sit on a chair and you kind of intuitively know how far away that chair is from you, so you can sit down on it without falling on the ground, or if you reach to get a water bottle from a shelf, for example, you know where that water bottle is going to be. You're not just like smashing your hand into the water bottle or missing it completely. Proprioceptive sensory input is how our body understands where it is in relation to our surroundings. 
And we can essentially give this to our joints and our muscles through weighted input. Now, weight provides a calming and organizing effect on the brain. And we can really offer very simple ways for proprioceptive sensory input through things like firm hugs, chewing gum. So if you can get two in one in for your sour and salty with chewing gum and your proprioceptive sensory input, then you're doing really well. Massages, yoga, stretches, weighted blankets, vests or eye masks, um, lifting weights and heavy objects. Again, something that you probably want to be doing more regularly on a day-to-day basis if you are someone who experiences panic attacks. But one of the most accessible and functional ways that, that you can get proprioceptive sensory input when you're out and about and experiencing panic is by pushing against a wall as if you are trying to push it over. And if you are out and about, again, excusing yourself to the bathroom if you can, and putting both hands on the wall and pushing for at least 10 to 15 seconds as if you are trying to push that wall over. And then having a bit of a break and then repeating again. Now, another really useful way that you can do it that is a little bit more subtle than that is to just push both of your hands together as if you're trying to push them into each other as hard as you can. And this will also give you proprioceptive sensory input. Giving yourself a self-hug is also a beautiful way to do that as well. Okay, so we have gone over so far sour and salty, cold exposure, and proprioceptive sensory input. The last one that I want to give to you, and this is more of a general thing that we want to do after we have used the prior three techniques that I've just shared with you, and that is grounding techniques. Now, I am saying to you to use this after you have used the prior three techniques because there is not going to be a lot of effect from you trying to ground yourself when you're in a heightened state of panic, okay? And I don't care what anyone says, you can take off your shoes and socks and try to put your feet in the grass and calm yourself down, but you're trying to put out a house fire again, right? So we really want to kind of use the natural sequence of releasing the body, of activating our salivation so that we're down-regulating our parasympathetic nervous system, of putting cold water on our body so that we can, again, activate our parasympathetic nervous system. And then we will have the capacity to ground ourselves back into the present moment. So this might involve things like naming five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. So this sensory grounding can interrupt the panic cycle as well and be a beautiful way to kind of finish off that sequence. And it's really, really important that we understand what works for us and finding what works for us in that sequence as well. Now, I find that using it in the sequence that I gave it to you, sour and salty, cold, and then proprioceptive sensory input and then grounding is probably the most effective way to combat panic attacks in the moment and starting to use these outside of the moment when we are in a state of learning so that we actually can reach for these tools and resources when we are in a state of panic. Now, you might have noticed that nowhere, absolutely nowhere in any of these resources that I have shared have I said deep breathing techniques or anything like that? And that is because when we are in a state of hyperarousal and panic, 
we are already breathing in a elevated and escalated way. So it is extremely, extremely difficult to control your breathing without over breathing. And what I mean by that is that if I tell you to slow down your breath and take a deep breath, what you end up doing instead of taking a nice diaphragmatic breath with a longer exhale, what we end up doing is taking a big breath. So we take in lots of oxygen. And what this does is going to amplify our sympathetic response. So when we are breathing in, when we're inhaling, this is a sympathetic process. This is a sympathetic system. When we're exhaling, this is a parasympathetic system. Now, if you are in a state of panic and you're trying to take a deep breath, you're going to take a big breath instead of a nice, relaxed, deep breath and a longer exhale. So I highly recommend steering clear of breathing techniques in general when you're in a state of panic, but definitely looking into breath corrective exercises outside of that state of panic so that you're feeling much more in control of your breath when you are in a heightened state. Again, it is something that you have to practice outside of that heightened state of arousal in order for it to become second nature for you in that state of panic. Okay, so just to finish off this episode, we touched on some of the longer term solutions in terms of what you can do outside of those moments of panic, of heightened anxiety. We talked about having cold showers every day. We talked about using proprioceptive sensory input. So using your body, lifting weights uh, and heavy objects and things like that. Using things like salivation and understanding what it actually feels like to imagine biting into a lemon. These are all things, like we said, we want to do outside of that state. But in terms of longer term solutions for preventing anxiety and panic attacks, we really want to kind of look at ourselves from this holistic perspective so again zoom out and look at your life on a broader perspective to look at where in which you are not completing these stress response cycles now panic attacks are a manifestation of all of these unfinished stress response cycles so we need to start to attend to them in a methodical and uh, nurturing way each and every day if we can and that includes releasing regulating and reconnecting. So releasing is a form of movement. How can we release this this, uh, charge of energy that our body is wanting us to move? How can we use this mobilization energy from that fight or flight response, from that stress response to release it, right? So is that shaking your body out? Is that having a boogie each night? Is that moving or going to gym class? Or what does that look like for you exploring that and actually looking at that to find what works for you and what what works for your body in terms of release. Now, regulation is where we want to kind of strengthen our parasympathetic nervous system. So this is where you can start to practice your deep breathing exercises and breath correction exercises. In a previous podcast episode, I walk you through a resonant breath training exercise in which we activate our diaphragm and we start to learn how to breathe in a much more aligned and natural way, the same way that babies would breathe, for example. Regulation techniques are going to be anything that allows you to feel more at home in your body, more calm, more at ease. And these can be things like grounding techniques, proprioceptive input. It can be self-care activities, so creative outlets, um, art therapy, all of those different things are going to be regulating resources. 
And then thirdly, we want to look at reconnection. So reconnection is a reconnection to yourself and a reconnection to others around you. So on a daily basis, how are you reconnecting to yourself and how are you reconnecting to other people? And what does it actually mean to reconnect with yourself? So looking at things that make you feel, again, at home in your body, what makes you feel that warm, fuzzy feeling? Is it spending time with yourself doing something that you enjoy? Is it making yourself good food? Is it calling up your friends and having a group chat? Is it hanging out with your significant other? Is it spending time with your animal or pet? Is it going out in nature and that makes you feel connected to yourself? So the three things that I want you to start to look at on a daily basis, no matter what, is release, regulate, and reconnect. And how can you do those three things in a way that actually fits in with your day-to-day life? Not that's going to blow out into a couple of hours long exercise, but a way that is going to be functional, effective, and actually fits in with the reality of your day-to-day life. Because I know that you are busy and I know that you have a million and one things on. So make it realistic for you when you are putting these things in place. Release should only take five to 10 minutes. Uh, Regulation techniques, again, can take under five minutes. And then reconnection can take 10 minutes as well. So that's half an hour in total for allowing your body to move through this natural process for releasing, regulating, and reconnecting. So now I want to invite you to share your experiences when it comes to panic attacks. Maybe you have something that works really well for you, or maybe you have a question that you want to ask me. Don't be shy and be sure to reach out to me. You can talk to me on Instagram at Anna the Anxiety Coach, or you can send me an email at support at AnnaTheAnxietyCoach.com to share your feedback, to share your experiences, to ask your questions, and I can support you there as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode, and I hope that you have taken away some really functional and effective tools that you can add to your toolkit for navigating panic attacks. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Be sure to leave a rating and review if you have, and check out the Vegas Nerve Reset book for more in-depth information as to how you can move through these three phases of releasing, regulating, and reconnecting as well. I can't wait to see you in the next episode.